there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. It's that time of the week again as we launch another powerful week of healing on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine Monday is where we begin, and I love it so much because my good friend Dr. Rashid Batard joins us and takes us to other levels and places we, we sometimes don't know we're going, but it's always a blast doing it with him. Dr. Batard, welcome back to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Hey, Robert. How are you? Doing well. I have been covering some real absurd stories. We've talked a little bit off the air about some of these, and one of the most absurd things is, you know, they're wanting to have the Jeopardy computer now reprogrammed to be a doctor. You know, let's uh, What symptom do you have here? Well, this is, you'll need this drug as such. And, you know, we have both worked with devices like electrodermal screening, EAV, according to Vol, and there's some pretty high-tech things as well, but it never replaces the human experience, the clinical experience, these other things that I think people can get really hooked on technology and lose sight of that. I totally agree with you there. It's... Um Interesting that you know you bring this up. One of my good friends, uh, Dr. Jim Harbour with Standard Enzyme, has a company that actually developed a, tech- a specific type of electrodermal screening and great machines, um, very reproducible. When I first met him, we were in Spain. Actually, I was giving a lecture out there, and he was one of the exhibitors out there. And we got into this heated debate about magnesium and the type of magnesium that was best suited for intravenous replenishment for patients that needed it. I asked him, I said, why do you use magnesium chloride? And he goes, well, that's what we always use, and that's what the electrodermal shows. And I said, well, have you ever compared it to uh, to a magnesium sulfate? And he said, well, electro, uh, the electrodermal says magnesium chloride. I said, check it with magnesium sulfate, and it'll, it'll test higher. And he said, no, I've been doing this for, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever it had been at that time. And I said, Jim, stop arguing with me. Just test it. <laughs> test it. You know, and sure enough, magnesium sulfate comes out to be far superior for replenishment in patients that need magnesium. And he turned around and looked at me. He goes, how do you know that? And, of course, it's because of my clinical observations mm-hmm. over the last you know, 20 years of practicing medicine that magnesium sulfate, the salt sulfate, uh, helps you relax the vascular walls and is more beneficial for patients that have hypertension, which is the majority of the uh, patient population because of whether it's cadmium toxicity or just stress or whatever is going on, versus magnesium chloride, which is what we use when it's a frail little lady that has a low blood pressure, we want to boost her blood pressure up, then we'll give her magnesium chloride. Same magnesium, but it's the chloride versus the sulfate that makes a difference. But coming back to the story, he looks at me and says, how do you know that? And of course, mine was based upon clinical observation. And my response to him is very apropos to this discussion. I said, the day that a machine can tell me what I need to do with the patient is the day that I can hang up my lab coat and my stethoscope and never have to be a doctor again. And honestly, this is showing the deviation from the right path for medicine when they're resorting to computers now trying to come up with a diagnosis and just take the symptoms and put it in a a, a database and then Mm -hmm. a person comes in and they put in what their symptoms are, and then that database is searched from, and wherever the most symptoms hit, that's yeah. the diagnosis. That's the box that you get thrown da- into. Dr. Batar, how many times have you seen a patient, and they've expressed, these are my symptoms, and maybe they say they know what they have or what, but, I mean, all of the symptoms would indicate if you were just, like, looking at a book, you know, a, you know, or doing a computer program, it would say this, but you're like, 
no, there's something, there's something wrong here. There's something we're missing here. And you can't explain it initially. It's in the gut, or it might be because you've seen, just like you said, clinically, the experiences there. You've seen other patients that presented this that, that were, it was just not what, what normally you would say it was. A computer would never get that. I think it's probably more than 50%. Yeah, and again, doing the homeopathic questioning as well, so many times it would indicate what they know. Well, it's certainly this, and certainly an allopathic would, doctor would say it's only this because it'll only go so far. And you find out there's something so far removed and missing that until you got to that point, a computer's never going to go there, much less many of the doctors that program it. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know garbage in, garbage out. So if you program in garbage, which <laughs> this is going to be, this, you're going to get garbage out. Yes, exactly. You know, this is really amazing because so much of the the so-called cost savings that we were told that would happen with Obamacare, apparently now they're saying the, 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 they're skyrocketing the rates every, you know, since it's uh, been implemented. And of course, look at what they'll try to do is say, well, maybe if we got rid of the doctors altogether, that's where we'll get our savings. We'll invest in a computer and then who needs the people? Well, I think that's where it's coming to. <laughs> I, you know, it's like the dehumanization of the entire uh, planet population of humans through this. And, you know, we got a lot of work to do. But as you said, and I respect you so immensely that because you understand experience is more important than anything. And, you know, when we've talked over the years about things, I mean, you could have come with your medical training and said, oh, why would I listen to this guy, you know? But you know I have experiences that are different and as, as, as I know you do. And we respect people who come from these places of, Bottom line is we want to get people well, and if we get to learn something 50 years down the road, we want to learn it. Well, we are all a product of our experiences, and I've found medicine and most of life actually to be very, well, to put it succinctly, that poster with the chimpanzee scratching his head, looking at a book saying, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so we have to strive to gather more experiences from as many people that have more experiences than, than ourselves and bring that th- their experience into our experience so that we can expand our knowledge base. Yeah, and in that way, you know, we're here to fulfill our mission if it's as a healer or if it's, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, a road some, along, some way along the way. As you said, if somebody comes and replaces you, it's like, okay, I don't have to do that. I've got passions and missions to do other things potentially. But you know at that point, if, if the computer's replacing you, if the machine's replacing you, what are you, you going to do? I mean, I, I, at that point, it's like, okay, if the humans are willing to accept machines as doctors, then it says a lot more about humans than it does the machines. Well, exactly. And you know what? I'm just... I'm just tickled pink that all I have to do is worry about my family and my loved ones and I don't have to worry about everybody else. That, that's great, you know. <laughs> but I don't think that uh, the public will actually allow that to happen, Robert, because I think more and more people, you know, are are realizing the fallacies and the shortcomings of the traditional model, not only in medicine but in pretty much in everything, as we've already discussed in past shows. Yes. And, uh, you know, all significant change that has ever occurred in society has been not from an organizational standpoint or a government standpoint. It's been based upon public outcry. It's been based upon the public demand that has elicited those changes. And that's what's happening right now. That's, I think, one of the reasons we are in the situation that we're in right now in the global economy is because the public is now no longer tolerating this and, and more and more people are becoming aware. And I think within that sector itself, you know, the empowerment aspect is a, is a great sign of, of things to come. Yes, and I want to go back to the uh, magnesium chloride versus magnesium sulfate context. We're talking intravenous, and of course, there are other ways to take it if we don't have access to that type of doctoring. The reasons why people would be coming to you for that, in let's say, aggressive use of this form of magnesium. Let, let me first 
let me first say that when people are coming to us, you know, when we're chelating them, for instance, it's, usually, it's always a toxicity issue. But then we put certain things within these IVs from a beneficial standpoint as well as from an uh, efficacy standpoint. And the magnesium is one of the minerals that we put in there. You can't give disodium EDTA. Sodium um, EDTA is ethylene diamine tetracetic acid. You can't give it straight. You have to give it with some type of uh, mineral. And usually calcium disodium EDTA is a typical form. But magnesium disodium uh, is another form. Magnesium has a lower coefficient of binding to EDTA than does calcium. So what happens is if you give calcium EDTA and it hits the body and then the body sees magnesium, it's not going to let go of the calcium. It's going to, uh, to, to bind to the magnesium. It's just going to hold on to the calcium until it finds something that has a higher affinity to bind to, like lead or some other metal. That's the reason we use it for mm. you know, toxicity standpoint. Yes. But what we find is that if we bind uh, the EDTA to magnesium disodium in the bag before we infuse it, and then we infuse it into a patient – when the magnesium disodium EDTA sees calcium, it has a higher binding affinity for the calcium. So it disassociates the magnesium and binds to the calcium. This is very important when you're dealing with the patient with atherosclerosis, with cardiovascular disease, because basically, as you know, the atherosclerotic plaque formation, the calcium is what forms the matrix of this plaque formation. Right. That's why they talk about calcification of exactly. the arteries. And, and that's so critically important. Again, uh, you know... <laughs> They threw cholesterol out there as the be-all, end-all, but that was a red herring to keep people away from the, these, this awareness, much less the fact that even in modern medicine 50, 60 years ago, they knew of what you do today. It's not that it's so new, but they literally knew it wouldn't be as profitable for medicine because they couldn't promote the open-heart surgeries and the other things that would come to be the standard of care. Absolutely. In fact, the EDTA used to be in the physician's desk reference indicated for atherosclerosis and coronary artery disease and then upon the advent of bypass surgery it suddenly disappeared but to finish that thought magnesium mm -hmm. when you give magnesium disodium edta it sees the calcium it disassociates the magnesium and binds to the calcium pulls the calcium out of the plaque and essentially takes the infrastructure of the plaque out but even more important or just as important but i believe possibly more important when you when the magnesium disodium disassociates to allow the calcium to bind to the calcium, for the ED2 to bind to the calcium, it has to get rid of the magnesium. Let's go of the magnesium. So you end up getting, getting actually a double whammy. You get a beneficial therapeutic dose of magnesium that's released into the system because, as you know, atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease, or cardiac issues, we are a magnesium deficient society. And all yes. these issues, these cardiac issues, atherosclerosis, these people are already low in magnesium because magnesium is an intracellular salt. So they need more magnesium. It actually has a cardiac stability factor. In fact, even in advanced cardiac life support, now one of the uh, mainstays, it used to be an elective drug to give somebody magnesium sulfate, um, but now it's actually considered one of the first-line drug therapies in advanced cardiac life support. This is the traditional acute care model for dealing with heart disease. But again, magnesium disodium, you're you infuse it into the body. It is an exothermic reaction. It warms the bag up. You put it into the body, and then all of a sudden, the magnesium sees the calcium. The magnesium EDTA sees the calcium. Let's go to the magnesium, binds to the calcium preferentially. The body now gets a therapeutic dose of magnesium, plus it binds to the calcium, pulls the calcium out of the plaque. The, the EDTA binds to the calcium, pulls it out of the plaque, and then that's essentially where it's going to stop unless it sees lead or something else that has a higher propensity, higher uh, binding coefficient. And then it'll let go of the calcium and it'll bind to the um, heavy metal, whatever the case may be. Well, and, and we're happy in that case, too. We don't need the heavy metal residuals just kind of hanging out and creating other problems. 
Exactly. But see, here's another thing that's important to understand. Once you pull the calcium, you're actually pulling the calcium out of the areas that it should not be, i.e. plaque. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have tenosynovitis, you've got calcium within the joints and the tendons and the synovial lining. When you've got or granulomatous disease within the lungs, you've got calcium in these areas. In breast tissue where the mammograms see the fibrotic tissues or some of this calcification, this is all calcium that it's pulling out of all these areas that it shouldn't be. But as it pulls it out, then it sees the heavy metals, it disassociates the calcium. It doesn't just go back into the same areas. It's calcium then goes back into the serum and ends up redistributing to the right places, which is the bones and the teeth. Nice. In fact, this is a very, very important component that I think a lot of people don't know is the beneficial effects of uh, EDTA chelation for bone mass. Hmm. Well, I've always, I've always said that the, you know, the, the obsession with oral calcium, let's say calcium supplementation from an external source, you know, calcium is such an abundant mineral and it's a macro mineral that so many people have it that it's the, the, the wrong utilization of calcium that's been a bigger issue. I, as I said, magnesium and other minerals that are, are much more lacking in, in a standard American or Western diet is a bigger critical uh, focal point for me. But people are going nuts on calcium supplementation and they may already have enough that just needs to be redistributed. That's exactly what it is. In fact, calcium in the wrong places is pathognomonic. I mean, you have, if you look at all disease processes, calcium influx in the wrong areas is pathogenic. You know, if you have calcium in the sarcoplasmic reticulum, uh, if you don't have it in the sarcoplasmic reticulum, you can't have a muscle contraction. So you need it there. It, um, the calcium binds to the actin, the myosin, myofibrils, and allows them to contract. Um, calcium in certain places in the body is essential for the body to work correctly, but in the wrong places, it is disease-causing. Calcium should not be inside the cell. It should be actually outside the cell. What's important to understand here is, again, when you infuse EDTA into the human, into the system, into a physiological system, you actually have. And I, I, Robert, this is actually takes a couple of minutes to explain. I don't know. What well, yeah, let's stand break. by. Let's take a break here. Take a breather, everybody. Deep breath, man. We're going to some heavy science with Doctor Batar today on Advanced Medicine Monday, and we're going to ask him exactly what sarcoplasmic reticulum is. And it's not from a science fiction movie. I promise you, it's really cool stuff. And we got lots more healing to do. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of Doctor Rasha Batar in just a moment. We are back. It's considered Advanced Medicine Monday, as it absolutely is, with Dr. Batar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show every Monday. And the Medical Rewind. If you think about what we just did, Dr. Batar, we were definitely rewinding a lot of medicine back to the origin points and coming back out the right way to help people understand you know, the role of calcium, even magnesium. How do we undo a lot of the calcification in the arteries? And it got pretty darn scientific i mean i remember high school chemistry and sometimes i get a headache thinking about it so we're gonna have to go back over a few of these terms that you threw out there but your passion for this stuff was just just bleeding through with clean arteries it's you know the thing is that some of the stuff is so beautiful that the the way that the creator put this together it's just absolutely shockingly beautiful to me the the when people say that when I hear people say that there's no such thing as God or they're agnostic or whatever, I, I just or you can't be a scientist and believe in God. I just don't understand how somebody can say, say that because to me, when you see science, science is the ultimate proof of the existence of the Creator because there's nothing arbitrary about it. It is so perfectly mm-hmm. balanced, and it's actually the factor of man throwing in his thought process that causes everything to go, you know, kaput. I mean, if we took the factor of man out, 95% of what we deal with, we wouldn't have to deal with it from a medicine standpoint. That's, part, that's true from the environment. That's true from everything. 
you know, you throw right. man in there, it ruins everything. <laughs> yes. Well, the arrogance of man knows no limits. And we'll talk more about that. Of course, there's some stories, always plentiful stories on that front. Now, you mentioned something called the sarcoplasmic reticulum. Now, that sounds really cool, like it came out of a, a science fiction movie. Obviously, these are scientific terms and medical and biological terms, but I don't want to assume everybody understands what you're talking about here. So let's let's back up and get that definition. Well, actually, the sarcoplasm, I just use that as an example, but the sarcoplasmic reticulum is the area of the body. Um, it's actually where the calcium is stored and released. And without the sarcoplasmic reticulum having it stores of calcium, muscle contraction could never take place. So basically, when you think a thought that you need to move your arm, your arm has to get first a signal, and then that signal is carried into a stimulus that contracts a muscle and then allows that muscle to actually contract or relax or whatever the case is. Mm. And the sarcoplasmic reticulum is within the muscle fibers and releases the calcium, allows the calcium to bind to the actin and myosin myofibrils, which basically are components within the muscle tissue. And now you're challenging me to go back into... No, no, no. Don't go, don't go back to get, a, get us all in pain there. <laughs> but basically, basically what it is is that without the calcium being released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum, you could yeah. not have normal muscle contracture. Well, and, and I, I think, you know, the fascinating thing about creation is, is also that we don't have to think, oh, wait a second, I need to move my arm. I got to start talking to the sarcoplasmic reticulum to release the calcium. You know, right. it, there's right. just that autonomic aspect or automatic aspect of, of movement that happens with thought. And again, there's so much, as I, as I say, and as you say, the more you look into it with science, the more in awe you are of the entire creation. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to finish this other thought process with the calcium, magnesium, and the bone mass because this yep. is one of the things, Robert, not to change the subject. No, no, this is great. This, but one of the things that I've heard many, many patients say is that their doctors that don't know about chelation are concerned that by chelating and by the, the, that by the fact that chelation is going to the system and EDTA is going to the system, they're going to end up making their bones brittle and they're going to lose calcium and cause kidney Yeah, I've heard, I hear them. They always try to uh, you know, discredit uh, chelation for that reason. Well, let me tell you what the truth is, the, the actual scientific fact is. This was uh, validated by McKenna and uh, Rudolph in Kansas City. They did studies on this and they showed that there's actually an increase in bone mass density in people that have had EDTA chelation. And let me explain to you how the physiology works so that everybody understands. Because it's amazing to me, absolutely stunningly amazing to me, that not only do traditional doctors not understand this, which again, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for not understanding it. I mean, they're pretty much doing a lot of things without understanding. But <laughs> even, for, even for my own peer group that yes. do do chelation, it's amazing to me that even most doctors that are doing this type of treatments don't understand this concept. So it's important that people that are listening understand this and, and I'll try to break this down so it's very, very simple. Beautiful. There are two hormones in the body. One is called cal well there's obviously millions of hormones, <laughs> but there are two hormones that regulate the balance of calcium within the body. Now serum calcium, which is the level of calcium within the serum, is very, very tightly controlled. If there's anything that goes above or below that level, you can end up having death. The calcium balance within the serum itself, within the actual circulation itself is a very tightly balanced uh, component. Just like, say, pH is very tightly balanced. Between 7.3 you know, and 7.35 is your pH, and if you go to 7.25 or 7.4, you're dead. Yeah, you know, that's, that's also amazing to me. When you start looking at how narrow these bands are that you have to be within, you're wondering, how the heck do we stay alive day to day? Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the, pylor the pyloric sphincter, which mm -hmm. is the uh, area where the stomach 
turns uh, connects to the small intestine, to the duodenum, which is the first segment of the small intestine. I mean, you're talking with six inches proximal to the pyloric sphincter, the pH in the stomach is something like one. Yeah. And then six you know, inches beyond the pyloric sphincter in the duodenum, the pH is something like 13, 14. That's amazing. So you've got the entire full spectrum of pH in the human body within like a foot. That's you follow what I'm saying? It's absolutely. I know. I know. I, I've in my studies of biology too. I just shake my head and go, "This is an amazing machine." That it was is. great. It is. As I've said to you know millions of times, if I've said it once, there's no machine that is built like the physi- the biological system, the physiological system. I mean, name me one machine. The more you use it, the better it gets. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the only system. So coming back to this calcitonin, this this uh, balance in the body. So serum calcium is very tightly bound. As we said, calcium in the wrong places is pathogenic, is disease-causing. Calcium in the right places must be there in order for life to continue. Right. So wh- how do we regulate this calcium, and, and, and how does the body normally do it, and then how does chelation shift this? Now, this is the beauty of it. There is a hormone uh, that is called calcitonin, yep. and there's another hormone that's called parathyroid hormone. Now, you've heard of these two hormones, right? Of course. Okay. So parathyroid hormone's job is is to actually help regulate the amount of calcium within the uh, serum. So when you b- do a chelation on, on an individual, in fact, this is one of the reasons we do our blood work before we do chelation, because if we do the blood work after we do chelation, there's always a panic value that comes back, serum calcium of 6.3, and that's, there's no way, because, uh, you know, 9 is going to cause a person to have seizures and die or whatever the case is. So... If you do EDT chelation, you have an acute drop of serum calcium. It sh- drops really quickly, and then it comes right back up to normal. But when it drops really quickly, the serum calcium monitor, the, the hormone that monitors serum calcium level, which is called parathyroid hormone, sees the calcium levels drop and says, uh-oh, hmm. calcium levels too low, and sends out a signal to mobilize calcium from every place in the body the teeth, the bone, but also the places where it should not be, the tendons, the joints, the synovial linings, the lung tissue, the breast tissue, the soft tissue, the muscles, the cardiovascular, the plaque, wherever yes. this calcium that shouldn't be gets, gets mobilized because the body sees, uh-oh, danger level of calcium too low in the serum, must pull calcium out of wherever we can and put it back into the bloodstream. So parathyroid jobs kicks in to start doing this. Now, the thing is that once the parathyroid hormone is initiated, it cannot stop for 21 days. It's a process that once it started, continues to kick and go forward for 21 days. In other words, once the, once the trigger is triggered, it's not going to stop as soon as the calcium level comes on. It's going to stop after 21 days. It initiates that 21-day cycle. That okay. is fascinating. Okay, so here, so now we've got this calcium that's coming out of all the areas of the body where it shouldn't be and where it should be. We don't want calcium to come out of the bones and the teeth, right. but it's coming that, out of everywhere. And that's the argument, remember, that is made by even the, the allopathic community says, oh, don't go to a chelation doctor. They're going to rob the calcium of all the places you need it. That's, that's exactly why they're saying it, because of that aspect. Because they're right. When, if, if the story stopped right there, then they would be right, because you are robbing the bone and the teeth of calcium that's being mobilized to bring up the serum calcium level. If the story stopped there, but it doesn't. Now, what happens is once the calcium comes out of all these other areas where it's not supposed to, including the bone and the teeth, the serum calcium levels come back up to normal. But then there's another hormone called calcitonin. And calcitonin's job is to monitor calcium levels in the bone and the teeth. 
So now it sees, calcitonin sees calcium levels leaving the, the bone in the teeth. It sees osteoclastic activity taking place where calcium is leaving the bone teeth. And so it initiates the osteoblastic activity, meaning that it wants to bring calcium and put it back in the bone and teeth. And so calcitonin says, uh-oh, calcium leaving from bone and teeth. Time to put calcium in, in back into bone and teeth. And calcium, a calcitonin not kicks in. Yes. Now, here's the funny thing. Once calcitonin gets triggered, it goes for 100 days. Wow. So it's, it's, more, it's about five times longer. We talk about uh, repairing or, let's say, bringing the calcium back in than the, than the three weeks that the uh, thyroid – oh, this is – okay. Here's where you so, get the counterbalancing that's so fascinating to me. Right. Actually, you know, I think I said that wrong. I said, I said 100 days. I think it's 120 days, actually, because it's a net – I remember the net – is 99 days net okay. calcium influx back into bone and teeth. So it's actually 120. So it's about six times wow, that's, the, that's the duration. Yeah. So now what happens is once – every time you do an EDTA treatment, once you've initiated that cycle, you've got 21 days of calcium coming out of everywhere, but you've got 120 days or a net 99 days of calcium going back only into the bone and the teeth. <laughs> so you're actually pulling out calcium out of everywhere. And then putting it right where it's supposed to go, which is into the bone and the teeth. And Rudolph and McDonough in 1985 or 1986, I believe it was, sometime in the 1980s, did a study on EDT chelation on patients um, that had treatment for a year and found an increase of bone mass density measured before and after one-year chelation. This is using EDTA. Uh, of 31% increase in bone mass density. Well, I'm assuming that the uh, Rudolph and McDonough study must have gotten published, but it seems like it wasn't widely read if, if they're still arguing against this. They actually did publish it, but of course the typical conventional journals didn't pick it up, but it was published in the Journal of Advancement in Medicine, which is uh, one of the ACAM journals, which is, is now under a different name. But um, I have the study if anybody ever wants a copy of it, but it is something that you can search for and find. It wasn't published in a, quote, peer-reviewed you know, double-blind, placebo-controlled, crossover-centered type evidence-based medicine journal, but it was indeed published, and uh, I have got almost 15 years of clinical observation to validate that myself. That, yeah, that's what I wanted to go. When we come back, we're going to go into some of those uh, observations, clinical uh, validations of this, and more. Lots of healing on a very high level here. Advanced Medicine Monday, we're definitely doing some medical rewind today with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Remember his book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, available through Amazon, also the site. I've got it linked up uh, at the blog at robertscottbell.com, etc., and we'll get you more information on that as we go here. Always a blast to be with Dr. Bittar here on Advanced Medicine Monday coming right back with more powerful healing after this. Continuing on with Advanced Medicine Monday now, Dr. Rasha Bittar continues here. Fascinating science. You're going to have to re-listen to this one or we'll bring it back uh, a little later, but uh, absolutely validating a lot of the things I have seen as well. But at the level, Dr. Bittar, that you have regarding the uh, EDTA, EDTA chelation and things along those lines to pull out the heavy metals, to cleanse the arteries that have been clogged, let's just put it in non-scientific terms here. The argument against a lot of it has been that you'll pull the calcium out of your bones, create uh, uh, weakening bones and teeth, and you've really, you've really laid out a very powerful argument. Now you took it to the clinical level, so you've been at this 15 years. Have you actually gotten a, a validity via testing procedures to see, wow, the bone density of my patients are actually strengthening through the process that's supposed to weaken it according to the rest of the crew out there? Since 1996, since I've been doing EDTA chelation in private practice, um, I did it before that, but I did it actually in emergency rooms, which I didn't even know what I was doing. It was just the standard 
poisoning for lead to- acute lead toxicity. But I first, of course, treated myself and family members before I started my practice in 1996. So that's 15 years I've been doing this. I have done both bone mass density prior to any treatments. That's part of our workup, EKG, bone mass density, blood work, physical, etc. And we have measured bone mass density one year or further out on patients. And we have seen no deterioration whatsoever on bone mass density. And if anything, we've seen a variance. I mean, Rudolph and McDonald showed 31%. Um, We've seen anywhere from 10% increase to up to 50% increase in bone mass density, depending on patients. You know, that's obviously based upon age and other variable factors, uh, genetic predispositions and and, uh, dietary issues. Um, A lot of uh, people that are vegetarians tend to have more osteopenia or osteoporotic type pictures going on than people that have uh, that, that are non-vegetarian. Um, but th- those are the correlations. that They've all gone up. I've certainly never seen anybody whose bone mass has actually deteriorated after getting chelation. Yeah. Um, and Robert, let me just take this point just one further sure. a notch if I can. Yeah. One of the other things that traditional doctors will tell patients, and this is something that I think may be beneficial to people listening, these are the typical things you're going to hear traditional doctors that don't know what the hell they're talking about, excuse my language. No, go ahead, say it like it is. <laughs> well, I mean, but they, they're invoking fear in people without knowing themselves what's going on and, and recommending to do, uh, the patient do something that has 5 or 10% mortality, like going and getting a, uh, an aerogram done or a, a, a PTC, a percutaneous transformer coronary angioplasty, where they put in a balloon and they insufflate the balloon to try to open up an area of plaque, where in actuality, 5% of people that are doing this based upon the traditional studies that have been done, one, 5 out of 100 people, in other words, 1 out of 20 people that have this diagnostic slash therapeutic procedure done will die on the table. Wow. So for them to tell people to go do this and not to do chelation because it's going to cause bone mass issues and it's going to – the, the other thing that they say is it's going to cause you to get kidney failure. It's just ludicrous. I mean you know, the first job in, of a doctor is to do no harm and they're inducing harm by not giving people the correct information yeah. and because of – ignorance of themselves, not understanding how the science works or how the actual therapies work, they invoke this fear among people. So what I want to do in the just next two minutes, I've already talked about the calcium aspect, so nobody should have an issue with that. Let me do, take care of the other issue, which is kidney failure. Yes. If you do chelation, you're going to get kidney failure. That is a load of bunk. It's absolute <laughs> BS. Let me explain to you what happens. EDTA, DMPS, all these chelators, they're very, very safe. In fact, EDTA is one-third as to- it has one-third the toxicity of a regular over-the-counter aspirin. That's how safe EDTA is. The problem is that when you have a good chelator, that it's not the chelator that's going to cause the damage to the kidneys. It's actually the mobilization of heavy metals that can cause damage to the kidneys. So you have to be very judicious on how you do this. The doctor has to know what they're doing. So, for example, when the body sees a chelator pull the metals out of the body and they, it comes out it comes out of the body, it doesn't come out through the sweat or through the feces like natural metals are normally excreted. It primarily comes through the urine because it's getting in, intravenously infused, it circulates through the body, and then the blood gets filtered through the kidneys, and then you urinate out the waste product. Well, the chelator is being concentrated through the kidneys, and it's carrying all this extra metal. So with the kidneys, the vacuoles in the kidneys, the glomerular filtration me- uh, mechanisms – normally are seeing, let's say, for example, one part of lead per million parts of urine. 
Now you put in a chelator, an effective chelator, and now all of a sudden, instead of seeing one part of lead per million parts of urine, it's seeing 500 parts of lead per million parts of urine. Yeah, it's a heavy metal stress. It's very real. And again, you know, the case in point, the reason why you increase certain minerals that will bind out, all of these things that play in, you know, the, the if you think about, again, we talked about the majesty of creation, how many things are going on. You have to be cognizant of, cognizant of so many of these things as well, which is where you don't just chelate, but you support support mechanisms, pathways, binding. I mean, there's so much more to it. Absolutely. And just like uh, anything, anything in life can be considered dangerous. For instance, a, you know, a car is a mode of transportation and a gun is a weapon of destruction. And so cars are good and a gun is bad. But you know what? An alcoholic behind the wheel of a car can make that into a deadly weapon. Right. And a gun comes in very handy when somebody's trying to threaten your life or your loved one's life. So what I'm saying is it's not the tool, but it's the operator of the tool, the user of the tool that must determine or that does determine how it's going to be used. And so it's not the chelator that's going to cause any kind of problem. It's the operator who's using the chelating tool that can cause a problem if they don't understand what's going on. And what's happening here is that the kidneys, you're getting a concentration of that chelator coming through the kidneys, and you have to understand how much the person may have exposure to. And if you don't know, then there's certain ways of titrating this up. And this is what we do in our clinic. Uh, as you know, Robert, I'm the chairman for the American Board of Clinical and Metal Toxicology. And there's a lot of doctors, over 3,500 doctors in the United States that do chelation. There's less than, eight, uh, less than 180 that are board certified. So for the listeners, if you're going to go get somebody in your family that's going to get chelated, you're going to go get chelated. My suggestion is you go to a website called ABCMT. That's American Board of Clinical Metal Toxicology, abcmt.org, and look for a doctor that's gone through the credentialing process, that's board certified or board eligible, that's done the treatments. Um, you know, there's a, there's two exams they have to take. There's a 2,000 IVs that they have to have done before they uh, are given um, board certification. They've got three years to get it all completed. Yeah. There's a lot of people that say they know what they're doing, but, you know, if you're going to go to a, um, somebody to get a, a bypass surgery, you're not going to go to your you know, your proctologist to get it done. So my All right, you is, know, the plumber. I mean, you might be dealing with some level of plumbing, but maybe not the appropriate thing to do. Uh, exactly. But, yeah, I've got this linked up, abcmt.org as well, so people that want to follow up on this can go to somebody that can definitely help them. And, you know, here we're looking at private certification agencies as well because we've seen so much about – we've talked about the controversy of even licensure, how that doesn't guarantee quality of, of care. But, really, there are people that have done the work and are doing it right, and that's what we want to see people if they want to avail themselves of this kind of information information, much less these procedures that may be very much life-saving once you realize what's going on. And just so that people know, ABCMT uh, has been around, American Board of Clinical Metal Toxicology has been around since 1980, so it's a 31-year-old board. Um, it's, uh, I, I was, you know, I was in, what, ninth grade when, when ABCMT was founded, so um, it's been around for a long time. It's the long, longest active organization that's dealt with heavy metal toxicity issues. And, of course, I am partial to it because I'm the chairman of that organization now. But it is very stringent as far as the requirements, and there's no other organization that has even a minuscule of the requirements that ABCMT requires for a doctor to be credentialed correctly. Right. So the two things that people need to remember that you're going to hear your traditional doctor tell you or even the doctors that may not even understand, even if they are doing chelation, they may not understand this. That's one is this is going to be beneficial for your bone mass density, and it's actually beneficial for your kidneys because it, when people say it's going to cause damage to your kidneys, 
as we've explained, it's because of the increase in metals of the kidneys are seeing that could cause a potential problem. But if you do it the right way and, a, and the, your doctor knows what they're doing the right way, if they do it the right way, you're actually going to get an increase in renal function, kidney function. I've actually had yeah. over a dozen patients with borderline to advanced renal disease and stage uh, renal failure in a couple of them. Three of them were actually on dialysis once or twice a week. And we were... Uh, Actually, one was actually in dialysis three times a week, and we were able to reduce their dialysis, the incidence of the dialysis, like the one that was going three times a week, down to twice a week. The one that was going once a week, we were able to get them off dialysis. Now, this did, it didn't That's, happen overnight. You know, it's supposed to be it, impossible, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it took six to nine months to get them to that point, but the point is that kidneys actually got better because there is no such thing as improving somebody that's on uh, that cusp and sliding down that scale of renal failure. Traditional medicine has no... Nothing. Solution for that. Nothing we at all. No. I know, I know. As, as you know, I've lo- I lost my father to that a couple of years back. And you know, like you said, people make all the choices of the world, but uh, I'd love to have more people be aware of this so they can reverse course and, uh, and salvage a life that can, t- can continue much, much longer. We want to see that happen. And when we come back from this break, I've got uh, one more segment with Dr. Batar. I want to spend some time also a little bit more on some of these pathways, but also the, the news about the Gardasil, the shot, the, the woman that graduated yet dealing with seizure disorders. I want Dr. Batar to relay to us more detail about the gut relationship to the seizure disorders, as I have found for so many years as well, that we're looking at the brain first. No, no, no. We need to look at the gut first, and then we see how everything can improve. And we'll go through that with Dr. Batar when we come back on Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind here on The Robert Scott Bell Show. Don't panic if we've talked about a lot of things that are pretty intense and scientific. You can always download the archives, re-listen as well as I've got many of the links that Dr. Batar has described today on Advanced Medicine Monday so that you can go review them for yourself, including links to his awesome book. And I, and I say that, and I'm not exaggerating, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. It's an Amazon, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller. And we've got links to that as well up at the blog at robertscottbell.com. As also, you can click the link that you see the little image of Dr. Batar and myself uh, over where you're listening through naturalnews.com. And Dr. Batar... Man, it's been getting intense today with some great, great learning. I love it. And I think that, uh, you know, taking it to another level in another direction or another area, we have the issue of vaccination. There's a new book coming out called Vaccine Nation, which is talking about many of the, 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 the deleterious impacts that are ignored in modern medicine as to how many more sick people are coming from the vaccinated population than the non-vaccinated population. But in the case of Gardasil, we covered the story earlier today of a, of a girl who at 15 got, well, got the three shots, nearly died, went into massive seizures. They didn't think she was would live somehow she graduated it's a great story but she still has seizures she's got a seizure dog with her maybe we should explain the pathway of why the gut is damaged so much from vaccines and also why that is leading to a lot of the seizure disorders well what was interesting about that story from what i heard a little bit i heard they supposedly the uh CDC admitted that there was, what, 30 cases? They said 51. I mean, there are others that that referenced 89. But then they're saying, well, the risks outweigh the benefits. I'm thinking, explain that to the women who died and and their families who lost them. Yeah. I mean, this is just amazing. I mean, that that, that's a casualty of giving vaccine that's considered to be acceptable. I mean, uh, under what conditions is anybody's life considered well, expendable. You're right. It's collateral damage. It's the price of doing war, and it is war. It's not healing. And, and actually, the prevention that they're thinking that they're preventing, they're not preventing anything. In fact, if anything, they're inducing more detriment and, and yep. literally tens of thousands of women that are getting this that aren't aware 
what they're getting. And, and we can't document the slow deleterious changes that are occurring in their bodies from this. Their systems just happen to be more resilient. They weren't the canaries in the coal mine as these 80-some women were that died. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not getting damaged. They're still getting damaged. It's just to a lesser intensity perhaps, and it may take longer duration before those problems make, become manifested. Yeah, exactly. And so we look at, we recognize antibiotics, they're deleterious and collateral damage. It's like throwing napalm in the gut. But most people aren't aware that the vaccines, when they try to link up the brain injury, right, that you know all so well, but it, it's it, we, we cannot overlook the damage that does indeed happen in the gut. More and more science coming out and recognizing this relationship and then showing how this then re- results in this electrical havoc, neurological and brain havoc as well. Well, you know, for uh, to break this down into the most rudimentary, simplistic manner we can, a vaccine is usually an attenuated virus. It's, it's got to have some type of an antigen, meaning that it, it has to have some of the disease-creating component within it so that the body now understands what is foreign so that it builds up an antibody to it before the onslaught of the supposed <laughs> incident coming on board. So right. what you do is you, the vaccine is supposed to give you a small little dose of what can cause a disease, so it has to have the antigen, whatever it is, whether it's an attenuated virus or you know, whatever, the, whatever the material that you're giving somebody, it has to be of the same substance that they're concerned about, that the people that are giving the vaccines are concerned about causing the problem. Well, to so stimulate have- that secondary antibody response, which interestingly enough is secondary, there are primary gut responses that are very critical for immunity. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and in fact, I'll let you go ahead and continue with that thought. I was just going to say that the vaccine, the whole premise of the vaccine, though, is flawed because you're giving <laughs> something that's supposed to cause a reaction, but you're giving it by definition with a substance that is suppressing the immune system, the nickel, the thimerosal, yeah. yep. whatever other components that they've got in there, the DNA addicts. These are all causing a depression of the immune system. So if you're theoretically giving somebody something to boost their immune system, why are you giving them an immunosuppressant along with the attenuated virus? Yes. This is why you know all the stuff that um, Wakefield did, I mean, to me, it wasn't surprising. I didn't understand what the big deal was. It's like, <laughs> of course they're going to have this stuff showing up. And they got you giving children with a compromised immune system that are already toxic on board, on, uh, you're introducing on board their f- delicate decreased, uh, incapable of detoxification system, you're giving them an attenuated virus, which is giving them more pathology, and you're giving them before the immunosuppressant. Of course, it's going to show up all this stuff inside their gut, and it's going to show up everywhere. Right, right. And and just to reiterate, for those that are new uh, and don't know about Wakefield's work, he found uh, not only damage to the gut associated with the autism spectrum, but he actually found the actual virus uh, in the MMR uh, present in the guts of these children as well. So uh, it wasn't like some random virus from the environment. It actually was the same thing that they were injecting. We talked about Project Daylily and Garth Nicholson and his work. Yep. I was at a conference a number of years back, and I made this comment, and Garth was sitting in the audience. I made the comment that it's uh, not surprising that these children have all these uh, pathologies and somebody had brought up they were doing testing on limes they were talking about doing testing of limes and other th- other conditions in children with autism and i was asked why i didn't do that and i said because it's preposterous to do that of course they're going to have that they're going to be accessible every opportunistic thing you can imagine these children they're going to have they're going to have mycoplasm they're going to have spirochetes nicholson went out in the following year 
released some information, and I believe it was something in the 60 to 70% of the kids that he tested were positive for mycoplasma and close to that uh, for spirochetes. So, again, it's not surprising that all these poor children that already have compromised immune systems have all these opportunistic infections, which falls into the third toxicity of my seven toxicity philosophy. Yep, and it's all in the book, uh, you know, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And when we talk about clinically speaking, when I started working with people that had seizure disorders, I was working to heal their gut, obviously detox through liver and other things. And, I, you know, lo and behold, wow, we were able to see uh, cessation of seizure disorder. Now, it, I wasn't talking here about dr- real head injury scenarios because there are head injuries associated with seizure disorders, but I was talking about the gut damage associated with vaccines, antibiotics, and the like. And by healing the gut, we found that we reduced or eliminated these uh, seizures. And, and it's like, you know, why aren't they looking at that in medicine? Now there's more and more science coming out to validate and verify it, but they're still lo- so far behind on this. There are many neurotransmitters that actually come in, come from the gut. In fact, uh, secretin, which was we were one of the first people in the country back in the late 1990s to, to give IV secretin to children with autism. And secretin is a neurotransmitter, but it's found uh, in the gastrointestinal tract. And there's a huge nerve plexus within the, within the gastrointestinal system that many of us don't take, uh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't even realize it or we take it for granted. It's not just with seizure disorder or autism. It's primarily with every pathology. I mean, the hormonal issues. If you don't take care of the gut when you're dealing with the female hormonal uh, imbalance, you will at best get a temporary result, and it will disravel just like a sweater <laughs> where you pull one of the you know pieces one of, of yarn threads, out of yeah. it. Within a few months, best maybe you're going to get four months, five months of results before the woman goes back to the same place she was. You must you must take care of the gut issue first. The gut becomes, to me, the, the gut is the key to everything. You have to start at the gut. The only patients that I don't address the gut issues with when they come to me, the only patients, mm-hmm. and that is the cancer patients because they're, we're dealing with the time issue. So I'm going right into the chemistry, and then I deal with their gut issues you know, within the first four to six weeks. But I, that's the only group sure. that I don't immediately start treating with their gut. Now, of course, we put them on probiotics. We do the right. you know, diagnostic testing to see where the imbalances are. But I'm not starting with their gut like I do with everything, everybody else, because that's, you just have to start the gut with everybody if you sure. have time. If you don't have time, then you've got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the probiotics. Again, more science. Almost every week I'm seeing new, new things coming out in the peer-reviewed literature about the role of the, of the microbiome, the microflora there, how they interact with so many systems of the body, including, of course, immunity, but even endocrine, even neurological, all of these things. It's like a whole other world that is still yet to be fully discovered and understood. Robert, you know the cool thing that I saw uh, recently, I saw a commercial on TV. I was working on my computer. The TV was on, and I saw a commercial for uh, some drug company and, uh, you know, antidepressants, people frolicking on the beach, and they're talking about suicide and this and that, you know, you know that there's a breakthrough possibility of this. And, you know, the, the typical – I mean, you just laugh at listening to these ads. Like, why would anybody actually go in there and tell the doctor, hey, can you put me on this medicine that has a side effect of, you know, my shutting my liver down and possibly allowing me to commit suicide, blah, blah, oh, blah. Oh, my gosh, yes. And then right after that, there was a commercial, and it was a probiotic commercial. Wild. I was shocked to see a probiotic commercial on TV. So yep. it, it is big gaining pharma. popularity. Big Pharma is jumping in. Well, 
you know, you're well ahead of the curve and you still are. And we're grateful for your participation and support here at the Robert Scott Bell Show. Every week, I look forward to Advanced Medicine Monday and doing some medical rewind. And we did some serious stuff today. I'm going to even have to re-listen to some of this because the notes were so fantastic. Dr. Batar, nine steps to keep the doctor away. I've got links up to everything. I'll even include links to, uh, to your clinic as well because there may be people from around the world that listen that might find that they need to come see you. So if that's all right, I'll put those links up this week as well. Well, there's a, we have a whole network of doctors that they can tie into, you know, uh, the abcmt.org. If, if you can possibly go to somebody closer, I encourage you to do so. There's no reason for you to have to travel. Um, we appreciate people coming to us, but, you know, having people from 70 different countries come to the clinic, you see a lot of challenges these people have to deal with. And uh, if it's possible for somebody to get this, the care that they need without having to come to us, that's great. Sure. That's what I would, I would prefer and hope for everybody. Well, we got but that ABC- link up for sure, yes. Yeah, so abcmt.org is a good reference. And then, of course, uh, the amps for doctors, too. We can let anybody know if somebody has, any, has a need, specific need. My staff can let them know where. Great. Well, sure. thanks again for helping me rock the health world. We've got lots more healing to do throughout the week. And always, well, some of those fascinating discussions we have right here every week, Monday, Advanced Medicine Monday, with Dr. Rashid Batar. Thank you again. Take care, Robert. All right, until next time, we got lots more healing to do. Of course, the power to heal is yours. <laughs> 